Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. today with my friend Megan Bitzer Ironpore. So would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I am 32 years young now, 29 and 3 years experience, (laughs) and I'm a mother of two. I've been married 12 years to my high school sweetheart, and recently in November, uh, right before Thanksgiving, we both got baptized together. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. It was awesome. (laughs) And so tell me a little bit about the process. What were you both before and what has your journey been like to get to baptism? Well, when we got married, my husband, I would say, was definitely more religious than I was. I had pretty much zero faith formation at that point. I went to church mostly with guys (laughs) or youth group, which I was really disenfranchised with. I thought youth group was a place where I could learn about Christ and the Bible. And it kind of ended up being like just a safe dating zone that parents let their kids go to. Mm. Because, you know, if you dated someone at church, they were obviously great for you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't think I remember you going to church at all. No, we were really good friends in high school. Yes. And did not go at all. My father has no faith formation at all. My mother had a very religious upbringing. And I, I don't want to say it scarred her, but I think she was forced to do and dragged to a lot of things that she didn't want to, but was never given the choice. Mm. So it was her philosophy philosophy that we should always have the choice, which everything is for a reason and for a purpose. So I I never begrudge them that because here I am now, you know, all situated and have a really wonderful life. But I think that I got to a really ugly place first, where if I just had some help from a higher power, I could have avoided or coped through that. So when we got married, we had to go to Marriage counseling was a requirement of the church in which we got married. And I remember we took like the marriage ACT and we were like 100% compatible except in the area of religion where my husband went into the marriage with certain expectations and I went into the marriage with certain expectations and those expectations didn't match. My husband's grandfather was an American Baptist minister and so his childhood was spent with a mother who was never happy with the Southern Baptist Church. So they were church hoppers. He went from this church to that church, and they never settled anywhere and went through a lot of really scary churches. And so as a general rule, my husband's faith became very personal because he just really had lost the belief that there was ever going to be like a church Mm. for him. And so I remember when we were dating or engaged, you know, he said something like, well, I don't have to worry about that. God will take care of that because I've accepted Jesus as my savior. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, like, I had no response, which is 
really supportive of me. But, you know, so then we went into our marriage and we didn't go to church. We didn't pray. We didn't study the Bible. Um, and of course, Bible readers will tell you that's exactly what the Bible says. <laughs> if you have one believer and one unbeliever, the unbeliever will drag the believer down. So that's exactly what happened. Since then, we've had that conversation where I said, uh, it was a non-confrontational conversation where I was like, you know, did it ever bother you? Like, did you ever stop to be like, when are you going to get Jesus? Uh, <laughs> and he said, no, I just always, you know, there's a plan. And my husband's very much an introverted person. And so he's also anti-conflict. So I think he was like, it'll happen. But I think he admitted as we went on this journey that he too had become complicit, which is like a dangerous thing to become in today's world. So I worked and he worked. And we had kids and I could not balance it all. I did six months of therapy to overcome workaholism because my parents were big on gold stars and carrots and things like that. So it was like one gold star after another and there was never an end to the gold stars. Mm. So I took that over. I took those reins. So again, yeah. I don't want to blame my parents. I mean, they kind of got the snowball rolling, but then I took it and ran with it. So I had a very successful teaching career at the expense of my own life and my own health and my own mentality and my family. My kids would play mommy with a laptop, which was just like crushing. And mm. so I just kept at it. So weirdly, this entire time, 10 and a half years, I worked at a Catholic school. And I've had lots of friends that are, are Catholic and sadly was never felt part of that community, even as a Christian community. And I saw and witnessed many things that were counter to what little I did know about Christian faith. I saw a lot of not acting out of love. I saw a lot of valuing earthly things mm -hmm. over heavenly things. I saw a big focus among adults and children alike on appearance and wealth, and yet the school had Jesus on the side of it, you know? So that was rough. And I finally just had this life wake up. I mean, God, there are no coincidences. There are no coincidences. And I feel like God has been like, hello, for like a <laughs> long time, and I've been way too busy for God. So I, I left. I left mid-year. I just couldn't watch what they were doing to students anymore and be complicit. So then that led to an enormous crisis of self. For those who are believers, you know that you can get through anything. That's one of the best parts is that you can go, I don't know, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. And it takes this burden off of you. Well, when you are I won't say not a believer. In college, I accepted Jesus. I blew the dust off my Bible and, and it, a lot of it made sense, but it just didn't have any guidance. And so here I was washed up and empty inside because I had spent so little time filling my life with meaningful things and God. And so I ended up in therapy because I didn't know who I was or what I was going to do or any of that. So my therapist said, well, if you're not a teacher anymore, what are you? And I was like, mm. uh, next question. Uh, so <laughs> that's when I realized how empty and when you're empty, you do all sorts of terrible things. You fill your life. I was a, a love to shop, major shopper, just buying stuff. And it wasn't filling the hole. It wasn't filling up my life. And I knew I was being a terrible mother. And I knew that I was like phoning in my marriage. And so 
she said, well, Megan, your priorities are out of whack. And she said, the first thing you have to do is connect to your higher power, whoever or whatever that is. So I was like, okay. And so I kind of started to actually read the Bible again. And weirdly, because there are no coincidences, I started with Job and was like, hey. <laughs> so so you, you know, just like opened your Bible? And yeah, it was like, just yeah. like, was like, hey, I'm just gonna, well, cause I, you know, uh, even if you have the most basic of Bible knowledge, you kind of know some of the story of the four Gospels. You might have been scared in your childhood by revelations. <laughs> you might know some lessons, and everybody knows about, like, Genesis and Adam and Eve and Noah and probably Jonah. And then there's just kind of nothing. So I just randomly opened to Joe was like, I think I've heard of this book before, and then was like mind blown about by no means did I feel like <laughs> everything had been taken from me, but I was at this place of like, I have nothing left to count on. So when you start lifting it up, that's incredible. And so it was a long journey of growing in a relationship with Christ my husband's wanted to be baptized for a really long time. And again, because of the issue his mother had, well, you want to be baptized, but I don't want you to be baptized into a Southern Baptist church. Mm. I guess he just gave up on A, finding a church that he didn't mind belonging to, and B, then getting baptized in it. We now have this discussion that says, don't you think if one of our kids came to us and said, Mom, I want to be baptized, that you would like make that happen? But you know, that's another story for another day. So anyway, we've been using lots of excuses. You know, we don't have time for a church. We're too tired for church. Um, we can't find a church we like. We can't find a church that's close. And we drive about 20 minutes to the nearest grocery store. And we've passed this church every day for the last, you know, two years. And finally, I said, you know what, what if we like try this church? And my husband's like, don't take the kids because, you know, what if they have like snakes and they're like holy rollers? Because, I mean, we live out here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, we are in Kentucky. So who knows what banjo choir scary church might be out here. So I went and it was like magical. It's a small church and they do mostly hymns with some sort of contemporary Christian music in there. You couldn't hide. So I went in there and the first visit, 20 some people, hey, you're new and shaking my hand and wow. welcoming and the message was just really great and it just hit at a great time. So I, I went to a few and then I finally, you know, worked on my husband and he was like, okay, we're, you know, totally unconvinced. And um, after we went, he needed like a big nap because he's a major introvert. So like talking to that many people for 20 minutes was exhausting. But that's the cool part. So we found like a home to reiterate. So through therapy and through his support, my husband, and just through connecting. I mean, I've only begun the journey, which is pretty cool because as somebody who likes to check off boxes, <laughs> like read the Bible, done. You know, that's something that's going to take. Gold star. Gold star. Yeah. Like you're the best Bible studier ever. Yes. Here's a certificate. Like that's kind of pretty cool. And so anyway, so we decided I've listened, you know, in the Catholic faith, unless you have gone through baptism and the catechism and gone through their whole required process, you can't take communion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and I've heard enough sermons and masses to know that it is a very important part of your journey to be baptized. And so I actually was like, I really think I want to be baptized, but I don't go to church and you can't just like ring, ring or knock on somebody's door and they baptize you. So 
I ended up meeting with the pastor and it was just perfectly timed. And then my husband calls it stealing my baptism thunder. That <laughs> um, he was like, ooh, ooh, me, me. And the pastor assumed rightfully that we would want to have it done together. So then the week before Thanksgiving, we got baptized and our families, our daughters were there. So that was really cool. So we went from sketchy at best to being very healthy, very God-filled family. And the differences are remarkable. Yeah. So like, what are some of those differences? Well, raising children has suddenly got a lot easier because you didn't have to come up with all the answers. And what I mean is that the Bible has all the answers to lessons like, what do you do if somebody's being mean to you at school? What do you do if you feel empty inside? What do you do if you're sad? We can teach them now the power of prayer. <laughs> My youngest is four, and even she's taken on wanting to pray at dinner. So my husband says it's the world's longest prayer that our food's cold before we're done because we try and let the girls have a chance. And it kind of ends up being like meet the parents, you know, where they try their hand at prayer and it's mostly hilarious. But <laughs> so it's like, thank you, God, and the, and the baby Jesus and any animals. And, and so but it, it's teaching them to communicate, which is something that I think my husband's family assumed was happening and I had no experience with at all. You can teach about kindness. Jesus is the great equalizer. So raising two girls in this country right now is really frustrating mm -hmm. and difficult where you're trying to empower girls and trying to make sure that they're leading moral Christian lives in a world that at every turn tells them not to or that that's not what everybody's doing. And mm -hmm. so the Bible has great answers. I plugged my kids in at church. They go to junior worship and then they go to what's called Awana, which is kind of a Sunday school curriculum where they learn a life lesson. Prior to being a believer, I had a big problem with like brainwashing children so that they believe, but they don't know why they believe or what they believe. So I, make sh I made sure that that curriculum matched. So my daughter memorizes scripture which is fine, but to me, it's more important that she can then explain why rather than just creating this like little scripture machine. Yeah. So as far as parenting goes, we are closer now and can, you know, lift up a lot. Humility is a huge theme in the Bible. And so that's drawn us closer together because our kids see us as imperfect, faulty people. And that's cool because we're all imperfect, faulty people. And what do mommy and daddy do when they're having a rough time? and they don't have the answers, they don't cry, they pray. I got a new job, long story longer, but <laughs> I couldn't find my teaching certificate, which resulted in this hysterical panic, you know, rushing around the house. And my daughter, who's six, said, don't worry, mom, it'll turn up. And she said, just pray, Jesus will figure it out. And I did, and it was wonderful because I don't have the best coping skills in mass situations of panic. And so literally, it really didn't bother me very much this weekend until I was able to message my old school district this morning and be like, do you have my teaching certificate? And of course they did because there are no coincidences. But <laughs> anyway, so it's just been incredible. My husband and I have been able to draw closer because we both really value intellect. And so neither one of us begrudges the other like nerdy studies of the Bible. And when I read a book of the Bible, I have three study guides that I get with it. That's my personal Hermione Granger dork choice. <laughs> but then, you know, we can talk about issues that 
I don't think there's really any venue to talk about, you know, you don't just sit at the dinner table and be like, so what do you think about abortion? Yeah. You know, or, and I mean, you being married to somebody that long, there are not very many secrets, but you have to have these conversations. And, and so I think it helps us grow intellectually as people and as a couple that he can kind of calm my hysteria when I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, mm-hmm. and and, and I, it's just really awesome as a, a married couple to go through that and know that we're going to be okay. No matter what comes at us in marriage or with our kids, we're going to be okay. It might not be like on our time schedule, but we're going to be okay. So it's led to incredible happiness. I was telling you earlier that for this new job, I got a physical and he said, so are you still on your medication? And I was like, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Because... Slowly but surely, as I've gotten my priorities straight and remembered, you know, God and self first, there's a lot of guilt in taking care of yourself spiritually, Mm -hmm. mentally, physically. So once I got that straightened out, I suddenly didn't need antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication anymore because when I get in these situations of depression and anxiety, I just lift it up, which is pretty cool. And I can teach my girls that too. So hopefully they won't have so many meltdowns and end up on, you know, medication. And and I'm a big fan of therapy and medication. So there's a stigma attached with that. But I personally have, you know, figured it out otherwise, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's taken a year for me to say that, Mm -hmm. you know, to accept awesomeness is, is something new to be happy. Contentedness. That's another issue. Covetousness Mm -hmm. at the school that I worked, it was a very middle-class wealthy. I want, I want, I want. And I'm, the kids only want to work the big jobs because they're going to make the big money and they're going to go to the big schools. And when you're their teacher who gets paid like 85% of public school salary, you can't keep up with the Joneses, which then leads to this great unhappiness because your expectations and reality are off vastly. So I don't shop hardly anymore, which is nuts. Like I can't believe I just said that <laughs> because I don't need any of that stuff anymore. I have a million clothes and a million shoes. I should probably give a lot of them away. I have everything I need, which is like the most cliche thing to say, but it's so true and so awesome to be able to give my kids that example. Yeah. You know, my daughter's four. She might not remember crazy mommy, which would be really great. (laughs) If only it could be like the legend of my older. (laughs) I remember a time before your time. Mommy was psycho. Um, And then she found Jesus and everything was fine. So at any rate, it's just brought a piece to the house, which is really awesome and opened a path of humility for my kids to say, I don't know, I'm scared, I'm sad, I'm confused. And for us to say, we don't know, we're scared, we're sad, we're confused. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a generation where your parents know everything. Mm -hmm. Don't tell them I said that. But like, (laughs) you know, where once you get older, you start to find that they don't know everything, but it's how they cope with that that determines how your relationship as adults works out. So my parents, particularly my dad, has a hard time admitting he's wrong. And that's something that I have grown to admire in my husband is that humility isn't weakness. I think it takes a great amount of courage to admit you're wrong and you don't know, especially as a man. Yeah. It's been wonderful to see my husband grow in his relationship with his daughters, too. And that's really important to me that they can see someone who's like, you know what? I don't know. And that's fine. And we'll find out and we'll figure it out instead of having to have a meltdown because you have to have the right answer all the time or know the answer all the time. But 
it's been a pretty incredible journey in just a, a short year, really. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. It is. I mean, um, well, I, I already said that's awesome. But, but it's, that's truly great. I'm so happy for you that that you have found the community and that you've gotten so many good fruits from yeah. this. Yes. And it just keep you know, so this whole time that I've found God, I've been praying, what am I supposed to do? You know, am I supposed to spend the rest of my life sitting at home? Mm. That's very hard for somebody who's very busy and productive as I am, but maybe that was God saying, stop, rest, rest. Yeah. you know, my therapist once said, you know, your job is just your economic status. That's just how you pay your bills. It doesn't have to be who you are. And I was like, whoa, like that was such a <laughs> concept to me because teaching was so important and such a ministry to me that it did define me. And so therefore when that wasn't there to define me anymore, I felt definitionless. Yeah. Um, so they were like, you know, you can be a person of purpose with great priorities and tasks and still work. So, so, so then I'm praying, you know, am I supposed to just serve people coffee? Should I apply at the library? Am I supposed to have a job at all? And my therapist had me read a book called The Dance of Anger, where when you change that drastically, people like you in your little niche. You know, they like you figured out. They like mm -hmm. to know that... They like to categorize you. Yes. Yeah. They like to know that Megan's going to come to the meeting with her dorky little calendar and her pens that all stand for something and her highlighters. And so when you're not that person anymore, that freaks them out. I think it was called like the change back philosophy. So I won't say it's like the voice of evil, but these people who they think they know what your best interest is. So they're like, you want to teach? There's an opening over here. And I'm like, I don't yeah. What if I'm not supposed to be a teacher anymore? What if I like burned that wick to the end and then turned it over and burned it again? You know? <laughs> so it was hard because you really have to just shut out the voices, even the best intentioned voices, friends who were like trolling the Department of Education. Like there's got to be something somewhere. And I'm like, I don't, what am I? So I've been applying and it's been like no and no and no to everything. And, and I kind of, I mean, you can't bargain with God, unfortunately, but so I've kind of, been like, all right, I'm just going to keep applying. And, you know, you tell me along the way what's supposed to happen and truly thy will be done. Like I've said that for a long time. And not meant And it. not meant yeah. it. It would be like thy will be done, but on my schedule. Right. And if you could just on follow this script, that'd yeah. be great. You know, it is very difficult to be a controller and a Christian because you have to give up the utmost control, even in your, in, in everything, in every aspect of your life, you have to give up control. So I've come full circle and, you know, the Bible has helped me understand how that's possible without giving up being a strong woman. Mm. Um, because to me, I have major problems with some of the ways that Christianity is perceived in the world that you're not allowed to be a Christian and intellectual. Like you have to trade in your brain and get a Bible and that's yeah. it. And I've already faced those stigmas. My brother does not have any faith and almost to the point where it's a, a mockery to him. Yeah. And so I'm sure he feels that I have totally like traded in my brain for a, a Bible, which is actually the exact opposite because I've been more intellectual in my studies since figuring it out. But anyway, I'm mm. rambling. But so I finally applied to a job and was like, I don't even know if I want this job. And so I, I prayed in the car. I was like, look, thy will be done. If you don't want me to have this job, then I get to still sit at home and study the Bible all day and, you know, take care of my kids. So it's win-win for me. So on one year to the day where I had told my former students that I was leaving, which was a really awful day, I found out that I was offered the job 
The salary is incredible by comparison, which I was like, okay, so there must be somebody there or some, I need, I'm needed there. And so then I, you know, start the path and, and I call a daycare that we put my kids in when I was working. And I found out that they've closed all their branches except for one, which opened three weeks ago, five minutes from my new school, wow. you know, where it's just like too many coincidences. Like when his past finally starts to unfold, it's just fruit after fruit and blessing after blessing where it's like, hey, cool, you're going to work at a middle school, which means you can still drop your daughter off at elementary school. And hey, cool, this daycare, which your kid desperately needs some school, um, <laughs> is right by your work. How perfect is that? And it was just, and then I found out I know like five people that work there and just unbelievable. And to happen one year to the day, it was like a big yeah. message. Like, I got this. You've had your year of healing here you go. We might have noticed up here that you had like $47 in your bank account. So <laughs> here's a job. Thank you, God. So anyway, so new journey, which presents its own problems in our marriage too, where it's like we're both of us know what I'm capable of. <laughs> and so we are both not terrified, but watchful. It's yeah. a good Bible word. Vigilant. Yeah. That we are both watchful that, you know, that what now I've developed this beautiful relationship with Christ and I spend lots of time, you know, in prayer or study or, and probably in all honesty, more than the average person actually has to commit to it because I'm home during the day. So that was something that I was like, okay, I have to figure out here and now how I'm going to be watchful that that's not something that goes out the window. I don't want to stop going to church. I don't want to stop studying, but I do have to recognize that there will probably have to be a diminish in the amount of time that I can commit each day, but that I... Pro promise myself to commit because if I start losing God, then I start losing my center. Then I start wheeling back right, you know, where I was. So it's awesome. It's a new chance at life, a new chance at teaching too, because I think when you are a Christian and you've accepted God, you know about ministry. And even though, you know, you're not allowed to evangelize the, the basics of human goodness yeah. and respect and kindness are something that are seriously lacking. I used to really like dream that my kids would be like extra smart and like extra well accomplished. And honestly, I'm really not so into that anymore so long as they're like kind, you know, and like give up their lunch to somebody who doesn't have one. It really changes your whole mm. goals for yourself and for your students and yeah. for your life. So and every cool. everything can be an opportunity. Like, right. I think that's kind of a difference in view, you know, where, that you don't have all the answers, yeah. right? So it's an opportunity to learn, to fail, yeah. to fall back on him and, and figure it out. So it's been a really whirlwind year and an emotional roller coaster, but such a good one. I know a lot of people are really excited for 2016 to bite the dust. <laughs> and I'm looking at it as a holistic collective. Like there were some days there that I'd be happy to forget, but that it, it's just been an incredible year of change, really ready to like hit 2017 with like a brand new everything, mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned a few things like intellectually and stuff, but how else has it impacted your marriage because you said before you were phoning it in mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so has there been a change in like the dynamics between you all or? um yes when you are the controller okay I have a big issue with the submissive 
requirements of the what like you know I'm in, <laughs> I'm in second theater like what yeah I know you know and so that was like a long journey of like grow up Megan but that was where my husband and I had had a lot of headbutting because you cannot have to, you know, the kids would ask a question and we would both answer at the same time, which causes great confusion in small children. <laughs> and then ultimately it would be like, you be quiet. So you can't both wear the pants. That's just how it works out. And it's not like a, oh, here, let me just, you know, never cut my hair again and just forget everything about being a bold woman. Mm-hmm. Wear only um, skirts. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and just go, yes, dear, let me yes. make you a sandwich, dear. Right. No. So that's not my style. Josh knew that when he, you know, bought the cow. So <laughs> anyway, um, I... I studied that pretty hard. And what I learned is submission isn't doing everything your husband says. And that's something that I think a lot of people are missing Mm -hmm. slash are afraid to embrace in their marriage because they think submission is subjugation. Yeah. And it's not that at all. In Rather, it's like voluntarily cooperating as we do to God. I mean, when you finally say, you know what, I don't have all the answers then all of a sudden you're also like that. Maybe my husband has a better answer than I do. It gives him a sense of empowerment as like the head of the family. And weirdly, I thought that would result in a lot of me being bitter. Like, why don't you ask your father? He seems to have all the answers according to the Bible, you know? (laughs) Instead, instead it resulted to him being like, I don't know, what does your mother say? Which is not what I thought would happen, that he would be like, yes, finally, be quiet, woman, you know? And it's this voluntary cooperation that we know that we have to work together. I was reading something just the other day that was saying that it doesn't really come out and say it quite so exactly, but the Bible indicates that that's actually reciprocal. It has to be functional. You both have to function as human beings with your like personalities, and it has to be reciprocal, meaning... The husband then has a big responsibility as the protector to provide, to care, and to also put his needs aside so that it comes full circle. Like, I only saw it as one-sided that when the wife is like, ask your father, that that was all there was, but there's more to it than that. So... Because you have to ask yourself, like, when it says, like, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, like, well, what is the quality of that love that Christ loves the church with? Yes, and it's sacrificial. And my husband works in a primarily male environment. He is a, a factory employee and, like, one woman for every 25 men. So it's a very, you know grunty apes in captivity kind of environment. <laughs> and so he's privy to a lot of their private lives where you know, their wives work full-time jobs as well, but they still don't expect to have to come home and do any of the anything. Yeah. And so uh, my husband knows that part of caring for me, full-time job or not, is making sure that I'm not overloaded. So we have that discussion, like, okay, going back to work, not going to sit on my hiney all day anymore, which P.S. no woman who stays at home ever sits on that <laughs> right all day, just so we're clear. It's mostly like you sit down at night and your husband's like, I don't know why you're so tired. <laughs> and um, didn't really notice that you scrubbed everything. So we went down and went through what I was primarily doing. And it was like, okay, I'm going to, instead of cleaning all the, you know, I'm going to clean this and you're going to do that. So we made like a chore contract because my husband knew that I was able to take on a lot more staying at home. Well, now that I'm not going to do that, he now knows that it's his job to make sure that I don't fall apart. No man should expect a woman to do a full-time job all day and then do a full-time job all night. And that includes parenting and 
taking care of the house and all the responsibilities. So in our marriage, that has grown. That when you, I, I don't want to say I disrespected him because I never did. But this idea that you don't have humility, it's a pride thing. Like, why would I ask you? I have all the answers, you know? So when you give up that control and you submit to your husband in, I mean, it's a chain. Like you're supposed to submit to your husband and your husband's supposed to submit to God and be an example to his family. And and then it, full circle, Christ submitted himself to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, he fully voluntarily allowed people to do that to him for us. And it's a care thing. So that's been a powerful factor in our relationship. We actually, about three years into our marriage, ended up in marriage counseling, like on the verge of divorce. I don't know how I didn't like find Jesus at that point. Yeah, That's like when most people, most normal people are like, I need help. But remember, I had all the answers. So <laughs> I don't know how we ended up in therapy. But when we were there, we got a book about love languages. Yeah. And that helped tons, 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 because we were each trying to love the other in our own language. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work out at all. And we didn't understand why it was just falling on deaf ears or what have you. And so once we figured that out, I think that got us through until God, because that's, you know, loving people in their own terms and how they need to be loved is a very Christian thing. Yeah. And so I think that's how helped in our marriage. Well, and knowing that there's, regardless of being Christian or not, there's something really warm and fuzzy about knowing your spouse is thinking about you during the day. And so extra warm and fuzzy to know that your spouse is like praying for you. Mm. So like this morning I texted my husband, like they have my certificate. I got it. And he was like, I literally just prayed that, um, you know, which is like, yeah, you think about me when you're in that like sweaty eight pit all day. So <laughs> that's really awesome that you spend a lot more time thinking about one another. It's also really comforting to know, like we know there's no marriage in heaven, but that doesn't mean you don't recognize the person that you are with your whole life. So uh, last night we, in fact, we were having this conversation about heaven and I was like, I've got this list in the back of my notebook. Like as soon as I'm there, Hey, how are you? I have questions, you know, and, and I'll be in the library if you need me. And he gave he said, when I go to heaven, I just, I think there's a beach. And I kind of thought you'd be walking on it with me. And I was like, oh, right. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Beach, beach first and then library. Like uh, just the funny, you know, when you're two people that are very different working out a relationship and a parenting relationship, God is like the glue and, you know, helps you, <laughs> helps you remember what's really important together. But in the end, that's kind of all that really matters, which is really incredible because as a married couple, you do a lot of worrying about each other, about money, about your kids, about your house, about your future, about your... And so when you take away that worry, you really can have a fulfilling relationship together, knowing that those things are already thought of, taken care of. And yeah, there might be crappy times coming. In fact, that's kind of a guarantee. Yeah. You know, that happened to everybody. But, you know, the Bible teaches us that's a test. Nobody likes tests. But that you come... It's a character development you know, that you get there and and in the end, you're a better person having gone through it. Mm -hmm. So we look at our rough patch as that, that it was mass character development, taught us how to communicate with one another, which then in turn, we took into this relationship with God, you know, talking to God and, and that sort of thing. So it's helped us to be a more united front instead of a divided front, just like getting your priorities straight, getting everybody situated in their roles is important and I can't like stress enough that that doesn't mean that you have to because it does say weaker which I also don't like Mm. but it it, the woman is weaker in terms of more deserving of protection 
that's all that that means. And it doesn't mean we couldn't take care of ourselves. It just means you have this family dynamic of responsibility. And ideally, like I'm going to send my daughters out and I definitely want them to find somebody who's going to take care of them come, you know, hell or high water. And so I'm definitely teaching my kids that, no, I'm not like saying your daddy is everything and I don't have any good ideas, but I'm saying that you know, there was a zombie apocalypse. I know that he would be like, run guys. And we would be fine because he's the protector. And and that's how Christ is with his whole church that we submit and, and let him do his thing. And that's an act of love. And it's really powerful for my kids too, which is nice. Yeah. I'm glad that in it, um, through that indirect path of getting to where we are today, my kids will have that lesson from this early age on I'm hoping their lives will be a lot happier, a lot longer, and a lot more often having had this solid foundation. Yeah. Instead of trying to build it upside down. Like, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Why does this triangle keep falling over? <laughs> you know, like, you have to. Anyway, it's also clear on the other side of the fence, but when you're going through it, it's a lot of like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. And, and that's pretty cool. And having an encouraging spouse there is, is really awesome, really nice. And we didn't really start out that way. We talk about it a lot. Not like, how did we get this far? But more like, we must have truly been meant to be together and known it deep, deep down inside. And that made all the things that seemed unbearable, uh, just slightly survivable. And then now we have 12 years and what a future, you know, to look forward to knowing that we have that extra glue is pretty awesome. Well, didn't you say that people, I think I saw on Facebook, you said people said you were crazy when you got married so young. Oh, yeah. Um, I w- well, we were. Um, yeah, you were, you, you were like not even old enough to drink. Correct. I was 20. <laughs> and my husband was 19, which is the worst part because he's younger than me. And we we were just old souls. You know, I we kind of like skipped our 20s to a detriment because... You know, when you go right to the serious part of adulting, you miss out on a lot of the fun and fancy free. But, you know, I think we were saved from a lot of mistakes along mm. the way. And our philosophy was, look, I love you. You love me. We're going to be together. So why sit around and wait to get married when we want to be together? We want to live together. You know, we want people to not give us judgy eyeballs if we have the same address, you know. So in a way, marriage just was the answer. And, you know, we, we, we talk about that too. Do you think if we like could have gone back, we would have waited four years and, or waited more. And, and I just don't think we would have, you know, we, I don't know. We just knew. And that's so cliche, but like, I don't know. There is a perfect person for everyone. And I don't even think we laugh about how like we stood up at the altar and we said like these deep, meaningful things. We had no idea what we were talking about. Like now I know what sickness and in health means. And now I know what like sticking with you and all of your annoying daytime habits means. And now I know what real thick and thin is. So we were just like scratching the surface on love. And unfortunately, I think that's why a lot of us see friends divorce because love is this thing that none of us define and talk about. And then when we're stuck, you know, then we realize we're incompatible. And then we realize that I really don't have this person's best interest in mind, or they don't really have my best interest in mind. Marriage is really selfless and hard. And then parenting is even worse. <laughs> you better be glued together by that point because it's like, why? <laughs> like every turn. So, but yeah, we got married really young, but 
now I can say, you know, there's not a lot of people my age who can celebrate their 12th anniversary. Yeah. Or worse, that could celebrate it and be like, yeah, my ex-husband, you know, right. because a lot of young people get together that early because, let's be honest, the glitzy attraction of marriage is ridiculous. Uh, like The marriage the, industrial complex. Yes, and P.S., um, I got married before Pinterest, so everyone should feel sorry <laughs> for me right this minute because, like, I, I see it. Like, even as a married woman of 12 years, I'm like, oh, look at those centerpieces. Yeah. And so... All you can see, especially as a woman, is the day. Yeah. And it's just a day. I mean, I hate to be that way. It's just a day. And then the real journey begins. And there are no beautiful centerpieces to get you through that. You know? So, like, no matter how pretty your centerpiece is. No matter how. You know, and we were, our parents were like, what? We were not ready for this. Because, you know, we kind of sprung getting married on them really early. And. You know, my parents gave me a $5,000 budget to get married, which is anyone anywhere knows that is a ridiculous amount of not enough money <laughs> to get married. But you know what? We did it and we got married and I had fake flowers and they were hideous. But we're, our marriage is still together. Like, who cares? You yeah. know, like it bothered me for a long time. And, you know, we didn't have a DJ and blah, blah. It was just a day. It was just a day. And, and the rest of our lives is what was really important you know, that's not to say I wouldn't have totally gotten sucked down the rabbit hole of Pinterest. But in today's <laughs> world, the marriage industry tells us that, like, it's about that day. And I don't think you realize then the next morning you wake up and have to deal with each other for the rest of your lives. And it's really hard. So the, the glowing attractiveness of being married comes with severe commitments that I don't think a lot of people realize until it's too late, which sucks. And I feel very blessed that yeah. I found somebody who was like, saw me the next day without makeup and realized he hadn't made a mistake. <laughs> you know, that was like, all right, I'll keep you. It's fine. And especially when we look back that we did all that without God. Yeah. That's you know, crazy. that we were really extra blessed because, and that's another thing with, with getting God is that people used to say that all the time. Like, oh, I'm so blessed. And I was like, I never say that. I never say I'm so blessed because you always, you know, want something else. I want my kids to do this differently. I want to do this. I want, I'm not thin enough. I'm not, you know, no. And, and so when you have God, you're, you're, you realize the things that you were missing. You know, you're so busy being unhappy. You don't realize just what a beautiful day it is mm. or just how lucky you were to have woken up today and not been like dying of cancer, you know, things like that, that when you have God, you can think about others and you stop thinking about your own selfish unhappiness. And, you know, I took my girls down to the Catholic Action Center. They're the only ones locally who help the homeless all the time and in the cold drive around with a van and pick them up. And so we drove an hour down there and, you know, we got back in the car and the, the Action Center has employees that work there. And my youngest, I remember her saying, they didn't look very homeless. And I was like, honey, <laughs> so... You get these opportunities to appreciate what you have and then to redirect. Like, well, honey, those weren't the homeless. Those are just the people that work at the Action Center. And for them to really realize just how awful a lot of other people have it makes them have less gimmies, makes me have less gimme gimme. This is our first Christmas going through with, you know, a healthy understanding of the great gifts of being a Christian and and I already think our Christmas season is better mm. and more enriching. And the kids 
I told them they weren't going to get any allowance in December and that we were going to make December all about giving. And they didn't fight me like I thought they were. I mean, and my six-year-old is very addicted to Shopkins. So I really thought she was going to be like, but my collection. So we've been giving, you know, our 24 days of Advent have been giving something every day. I never would have done that. Like how blessed am I that I have no job and my husband works incredible hours. And when we both had full-time jobs, we never thought we had enough money. It was always like more, more, just like the driving more machine. And now Mm -hmm. we have plenty. We give it away. And it just seems to like regrow sort of. I don't, the miracle of, you know, yes, yes. And like we did a thing at church and the children's fundraiser for Christmas is clean water filters. Um, I think our adopted country is the Philippines. And, you know, you watch this video and you're like, I just turn on my faucet and let it run and run and run. So it really helps you count your blessings. And they did the same presentation in junior worship. And my daughter got the car and was like, people are drinking brown water. And I was like, I know, isn't that disgusting? And so we, she decided to use her allowance to buy a bucket. That was her thing. And my kid never would have done that. So when you change, they change. It's like a, you know. And so have they just been, do you think that they've just picked up on... Yes. Have they they just absorb it? Well, kids are sponges, which is both dangerous and wonderful that, but they also don't mince words. So I I went to church once. And then the second time my daughter was like, can I go? And you know, so who am I to say, no, you can't go to church. So (laughs) I took my daughter to church and the series was all about heaven. And so we got in the car and she was like, are there people in our family not going to heaven? And I was like, um, Yes. Like, and who? Like a witch hunt, you know? Yeah. I was like, well, is, is so-and-so going to heaven? Well, uh, no, but they still have a chance. They can still repent. It's fine. You know, they, and then a little boy got baptized the next week and she was like, are you baptized? No. Well, why not? Well, oh gosh, like, <laughs> such a Nazi, you know, just yeah. so many questions. But it's been interesting reading in the Bible, Jesus always saying, you know, a childlike belief because they do, they just take it at face value. Where it took me 32 years to go, hey, whatever happens, I mean, I know where I'm going, it's gonna be fine. That takes an incredible burden and fear off. And my daughter the other day, um, a friend at school, her cat died. You know, death is hard for kids. And she was like, I just told Sophie it's fine because she's in cat heaven and that's a great Aww. place. And, and so it gives them peace of mind where, you know, you were asking how it affected the family. So now I don't have to have this like, fake death conversation I can be like well they've gone to a better place you know the rainbow bridge (laughs) but it's helped an incredible amount about being blessed and so the kids I think they know that it's very important to us but that we also want to make sure they understand that we don't just want them we don't look at this as like memorize this be this way we want them to understand how that affects their lives that will it'll never be done you know my my oldest there was a bully and we talked about how to deal with her and, and things like that. And like the next week she came back and she said, she's still bullying me. And we were like, yep. So welcome to early adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, it's never going to go away. Yeah. So you just have to have the tool belt right. to cope. I think they accept because we accept and, you know, kids do and say and repeat and what their parents do. But I take it personally responsible to make sure that they do that with understanding Because I don't want them going out into the world and not having the intellect behind the faith. I think there's a lot I've encountered this year, you know, I've joined Bible groups and things. And there's a lot of people who, when you start asking questions in sincere quest of knowledge, like, 
well, what do you mean? They get freaked out because they think you're attacking their faith. And and so I want my daughters to be able to believe, know why they believe, except that there are certain mysteries in the back of mommy's notebook that she's dying to know when she sees (laughs) Jesus. Please tell me about the dinosaur. So, uh, you know, things like that where... I think that for me anyway, it's not only important that they emulate and do, it's important that they understand why they do. That's an incredible responsibility for me, you know, when you're looking at, okay, your own faith formation, but then now you're trying to get like little itty bitties to to do the same. But it gives me such a brighter outlook for them that I I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them because no matter what happens, I know that I have a firm faith foundation and they have a firm faith foundation and that whatever you know, there's a big pressure as a parent, like, what's your kid going to be when they grow up? And I'm like, I don't know what they're going to be, but I know they're going to be Christian. And that's kind of a really reassuring, takes the pressure off everybody, to say the least. So, you know, we're hoping that they understand and don't just take it because we tell them to take it. You know, this is important. No way. (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I think that's a good place to wrap up. And thank you so much for sharing so much about your life I think for me and probably for a lot of listeners, after you've been in the faith for a while, it can feel so like old news. You know, like after you've heard everything a thousand million times, you're like, okay, I get it, like suffering, whatever, you know, it can just feel really tired, I guess. So it's really, that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is just for my own faith is because like when you're near someone who's had like a recent conversion, it's like the warm glow of baptism, (laughs) you know, and it, it, you know, it really is nurturing for, for us, probably for a lot of people listening to go back to the basics and be like, Oh, okay. Well, there are differences between like believers and non-believers and the way that we live and the way that we look at things and the way that our relationships are and our families. And, you know, because, and especially too, if you're, not in like such a great community or, you know, especially like this election season, I've seen like the worst from people. And being a newly converted person in election season, speaking of gold stars, right? Like, (laughs) Ooh, it is so hard to just, you know, and, and, but I've seen lots of people shut down mentally, depression, you know, and for me, I'm like, okay, just, I, I, it's going to be okay. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay. And, and that's a great way to approach everything because yeah. a lot of being an adult, pretty much all of being an adult is like, you know, and so when you have something to fall back on, whether you're a new believer or not, that's really, really important. Yeah. Really important. And we'll get you through because that's really like the only way I'm coping through this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> like oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, you know, because- <laughs> I it's so ugly. It's so ugly and yeah. from everybody. It's so from all sides, yeah. From all sides and so and and also for the first time as an informed voter voting from a place of okay, well, here's what I think about treating others. Here's what mm-hmm. I think about women. Here's what I think about all these issues. Now you have a faith obligation to yeah. choose morally better, haha, right? Like <laughs> we're dealing with politicians here. So it's like right. moral choice. Yeah. So that was something new and challenging, but yeah, it's happy to share my baptismal glow. <laughs> um, and, and it, it really is uh, like a new, a washing away of old and a new journey forward so I'm really looking forward to like the rest of my life (laughs) oh great (laughs) awesome well thank you 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men, on Twitter as at LA Gone Fishing, and at Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There's an underscore between each word. Please rate and make comments on iTunes as it will help people discover us. Yes. Once again, I'm Laura Samara. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.